to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, disaster planning, emergency management, resiliency, and everything and anything that can be relatable to those subjects. I'd like to remind everyone, uh, with if you have any topics we'd like uh, to talk about on the show, please feel free to send me an email on the main page for the show. There is a button. Uh, I forget the wording, send host an email or something like that, Content contact host, um, and give me the, your suggestion for a topic. Or if you want to be on the show, do the same thing, and we'll see about uh, finding someone to come on, or we'll make arrangements and get you to come on. Same thing, if you'd like to advertise a product or service, we do have uh, sponsorship uh, opportunities available. You can contact me the same way, and we can get information to you. Reminder for anybody who's going to be at the Continuity Insights Conference in San Antonio, April uh, 20th to 22nd, I believe the dates are. I will be speaking there, so if you see me, please feel free to come over and say hi. And today's show is brought to us by the people at BoastAssessment.com, B-O-A-S-T, Assessment.com, who have an application that lets you monitor your uh, business continuity management uh, program status. Uh, you can update it daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, but lets you know where you can focus your resources and saves you a lot of money. As many listeners know, we had a fantastic live broadcast in at the Phoenix DRJ at uh, the end of September, beginning of October, and uh, I stuck around to uh, attend the conference and attended quite a few uh, workshops and speaking sessions, uh, great speakers as always. And today, I was able to snag one of those. I was able to get one of the speakers who talked about business resilience is vital to success and survival. And I'd like to welcome to the show the speaker for that session, Caitlin Durkovich. Caitlin, welcome to the show. Great to be a guest of yours, and it was certainly um, a wonderful experience to be part of the DRJ Fall Conference in Phoenix. So thank you. It was, and the weather was good out there, too. The we- <laughs> I will tell you, I am yearning for that weather right now. It's very chilly here in Washington, D.C., and I gather it's cold where you are as well. Yes, it is. <laughs> Could you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, what you do, and, uh, uh, and the one question I do like uh, everyone to answer, how did you get into this industry? Um, I'd be happy to give you a little bit of my background, and I don't know that we have a, enough time for me uh, <laughs> to to give you the circuitous path that brought me here, but I can give you uh, some highlights. So, uh, again, my name is Caitlin Durkovich. I am the Director of um, Security and Resilience at Toffler Associates. We are a foresight and strategic uh, advisory firm based in the Washington, D.C. area. We were founded by the futurist Alvin Toffler uh, 20-some years ago. Um, My background is largely in the um, uh, security and resilience uh, space. Prior to joining Toffler Associates, I spent eight years at the Department of Homeland Security um, where I worked very closely with the private sector um, in in around the, the mission of, of protecting our nation's uh, critical infrastructure. And during my tenure there, uh, we evolved from a kind of anti-terrorism organization to an all-hazards-focused um, uh, mission and organization and uh, had the privilege of working with uh, the private sector to both um, – help them understand the dynamic risk environment, why it was important that they take measures to protect themselves, to enhance their resilience, um, both for purposes of their bottom line, but because of the 
um, overall importance uh, and role they played in, in national security. Um, I've been kind of orbiting in the uh, security and resilience space for uh, nearly 20 years. Um, it was somewhat accidental uh, in that I started off um, early on building websites. This is in 1994. Um, and that led me to a job trying to raise awareness about Y2K. Um, we obviously survived that, and the company pivoted um, to get into cybersecurity and created, uh, this is a, a company called iDefense, created the first open source cyber intelligence product. Um, and that, you know, basically was the beginning of my career in, in security. Um, I've been with a number of um, startups around cybersecurity trying to raise best practice um, and, uh, and standards around cybersecurity for the private sector. Um, spent some time at Booz Allen Hamilton doing both information assurance, but also um, planning for the Federal Emergency Management Agency, both around continuity of operations, but also specifically um, thinking about pandemics. Um, and then um, from there, uh, landed in, in uh, the administration in 2009 at an agency that is now called the Cyber Security and Infrastructure Security Agency, the Department of Homeland Security. And again, our mission was to coordinate the protection um, of our nation's critical infrastructure. We divide infrastructure into 16 sectors, ranging from energy, water, transportation, and financial services um, to critical manufacturing and what we call commercial facilities, which is um, kind of soft targets. So I've been doing this for a while, uh, and I remain um, very passionate about helping organizations understand the threats that could disrupt them um, and to um, not only prepare for them, but to learn from their own experiences and other experiences so they can um, get stronger and, um, and be more resilient. Great. Well, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you here. Now, your Thank uh, you. It's great to be here. Good. Uh, your presentation at DRJ, Business Resilience is Vital to Success and Survival, any listener on the show knows we've had a lot of people talk about resilience and give a definition. What's your definition of business resilience? My definition of business resilience is the ability to identify, prepare for, anticipate, respond to, recover, and bounce forward from risks, both known and unknown. Now, does that go for organizations, communities, individuals? Because I found that people tend to change their definitions depending on who they're talking about. That definition applies to organizations. It can apply to a community, uh, and it certainly can apply to individuals. Um, when you think about it, it's, um, it's the ability to, to see um, or, or, to, or to understand that you may have blind spots, that you have certain assumptions and biases and it's about how you understand those biases and challenge those blind spots so you can anticipate where you can be tripped up, right, where there are vulnerabilities, um, and put yourself in a place or your organization in a place where you both have the capacity um, to respond uh, and, and quickly recover. But I think equally important, it's how you learn from um, those events, and again, it's not just events that happen to you, but events that happen from other, and you get better and stronger. Um, so you, you know, can continue to to be agile um, and 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 resilient, really, at the end of the day. Well, you you mentioned uh, two different points. See, I love talking to people on the show because listeners may not know we kind of have an outline as we come in and as soon as we start talking the outline gets thrown out the window and we go all over the place so <laughs> you mentioned two two great points that i i kind of want to touch on um bounce forward and the biases and blind spots uh i'll uh, ask the first question what do you mean by our biases and blind spots so that's that's a great question and, and we spend um, time helping organizations both understand what we mean by that but but identify them um, and I think when it comes to blind spots, you become accustomed to 
operating and doing the things that the way the way that you do, and you've got a known set of, of circumstance of stakeholders. Um, things have been running smoothly for a while. It's kind of business as usual. Uh, and you, because of um, either, you know, how that environment is changing, um, new relationships, vulnerabilities, emerging threats, you don't always see where you may have new vulnerabilities because, again, you've got... Um, it's kind of nose to the grindstone. Um, let's move forward. We've done it this way. We will always do it this way. And the more you get in kind of that comfort zone and the business as usual, um, I think the 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 more you don't recognize the things that can can trip you up. And so it's about how you identify. Um, the the things that you would least expect and and recognize that um, it is going to happen to you and where are you not looking um, or not attuned to to risks um, that could impact you those are your your blind spots and um, we can go through you know I could list a number of of different examples where companies have had um, blind spots um, biases are just kind of those cultural that cultural way of business, the, the, the way that you do things that predisposes you to a certain um, behavior that, again, may not have evolved um, to the, the world that we're um, operating in. And it may leave you vulnerable um, to, you know, disruption or to certain events because um, you've got a way of doing things, and you're um, not cognizant of how the environment has changed, um, and things that that you might have to to be focused on at the end of the day. So, it's you know, it's I've been doing it this way for ten years. It's always worked. Why should I change it? That's kind of a, a bias, right. um, and and that's what trips organizations up, frankly. I, I'm I'm glad you said cognizant. Believe it or not, I was actually writing that word down. That we're, we become cognizant of what we're doing, with that we you'll be kind of come complacent and not recognizing the change around us. We do become complacent, and I think part of the challenge, Alex, is that it's not just complacency, right? And in part because what we've done always seems to have worked, and it's. Mm-hmm. We've seen growth and we've been successful, but I think part of it is I don't I don't know that that organizations have fully wrapped their arms around how different the world is and the operating environment that we're in and how complex it has become and the you know we're used to having to manage things within our walls and our fences and our networks. And really, at the end of the day, our operating environment has expanded because of our vendor relationships, our customers, the way we do business, just-in-time delivery. So what we have to worry about um, has, it's like, you know, concentric circles, and it just keeps expanding um, further and further. And so it can be hard to fully um, comprehend and understand uh, the the scope and the reach of, of those concentric circles and all that's involved with it. And so it's both complacency, but I think, you know, the challenge of really operate, uh, wrapping your hands around what has become a, a, a new, a new operating environment at the end of the day. But as long as nothing's happened, why do I need to worry about it? Right. Things have been yeah, pretty good. Yeah. We haven't, you know, we haven't seen any disruption. So it seems like what we're doing is, is pretty good. We got it. Right. That's the common refrain. And when people say or when organizations say we got it, I think that's when they're most vulnerable, because that does demonstrate um, complacency. I think that demonstrates I'm going to you know, use a dirty word, ignorance um, to how the world has, has really changed. Yeah, because no, nobody really. Well, you can't. Nobody can operate in a silo anymore. You know, the dependencies and interdependencies are so uh, strong now. That you know, you, you, to your point, you can't just do your own thing and think that there's not going to be impact anywhere else, or anyone else is going to have an impact on you. Exactly, and I I would challenge anyone to 
to find an example of somebody who can continue to live in the silo. It's it's impossible. When you think, again, about the, the vendors and the services um, that you're reliant on and the customers and stakeholders that re- are relying on you. And so, you know, one, you know, disruption can cascade across the entire value chain. And that's what people and organizations have to start to think about, right, is to, to mm. really look at where are those critical connections, those critical dependencies, and think hard about how either a disruption in one or a decision that you make um, could impact them, and are you are you prepared both for the 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 benefits and the return on investment, but the negative impact that it could have on those vendors and those customers and those relationships. And the opposite, I guess, could be true as well. Somebody else could have something happen to them, doesn't impact you uh, to start with, but over time, all of a sudden, you're finding. You know, uh, how did we get dragged into this situation? You know, why are we missing supplies and all this and that? You know, something that happens somewhere else can impact you. Absolutely. And we see that um, frequently kind of in in just-in-time delivery. Um, This isn't Mm. a terribly recent example, but when we saw the um, earthquake and tsunami and then corresponding nuclear event in Japan, Right, the the auto industry was was very impacted because a lot of the critical component parts um, were manufactured over in Japan, and so the delay and, and we actually saw this in our own in our own household. My husband had just ordered a new um, electric vehicle. This is back in 2011, I think 2012, and it ended up being delayed three months because the the parts that they were dependent on, and this is a, a foreign made vehicle at the time were coming from Japan, and they couldn't finish the cars, right? Mm-hmm. But this happens, you know, regularly, whether it's driven by weather, by politi- geopolitical situations, um, you know, a changing climate, um, you know, limitations in natural resources. Um, I- increasingly, you know, we have to be cognizant of how, this, you know, what what the supply chain is and how it could be impacted you and therefore cascade down and impact your business. It's interesting you mentioned that example because that's exactly what I was thinking because just down the road from where I live is a Honda or Toyota, I forgot which one, oops, Honda or Toyota plant that had to cut back on shifts because of what happened in Japan during that uh, tsunami and uh, earthquake. So, um, And you start to realize the the complexity of of the the world that we have built Um, and it takes – events like that to fully understand uh, really this, you know, very um, interconnected, interdependent ecosystem. Uh, um, so, yep. I agree with you completely. You know, it's not as simple as it may have been a long time ago. <laughs> yes, uh, we, exactly. We've come, yeah, we've come to the end of our first segment. We're talking with Caitlin Durkovich and about business resilience and how it's vital to success and survival. We'll be right back. Connect with us and we'll connect with you. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on LinkedIn. Get the first word about happenings with the network, where our next live event will be, and what's up with our hosts. Look up Voice America on LinkedIn. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. You 
listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Caitlin Berkovich and uh, about a session she presented at DRJ, uh, fall DRJ uh, just recently, uh, business resilience is vital to success and survival. Uh, Caitlin, great first segment, lots of good information. Um, I said that you had brought up two points that I wanted to touch on, and we were able to touch on the first one. The second one is a term you used, bounce forward. Now, most people use the term with resilience or disaster recovery, anything, is bounce back. What do you mean by bounce forward? question, Alex, and I think that's how our, defini- our d- definition of resilience differs from, from many definitions, and it is that, that bounce forward. And that's the, the concept that not only do you want to have a, a, a culture and, and that kind of muscle memory that allows you to quickly um, bring um, decision makers and operators together both to respond to an event or disruption so you can quickly uh, get your business um, back online uh, and operating. But what's important is that if you're going to be stronger and more resilient, you have to learn from those events and disruptions. And so how do you take, whether it's the, the findings or the after-action reports, and use them to ingrain them back into your culture and your operations so the next time something like um, it happens again or something similar, you are faster and better at uh, mm. recovering or maybe you don't have any disruption. And so I, we, we preach both that that happens when you've got an event that happens within your organization and how you learn from it and, you know, fail and fail fast and come back stronger but there are examples that happen every day that may not impact your organization or your value chain, um, but that are impacting other organizations and that are opportunities for you to have a conversation within your organization about, all right, what happens if we had an event similar to this? How would we respond? Are we prepared? Do we know how we would um you know, mitigate the the potential risk? How would we work with our stakeholders? How would we manage the event? And I think that's what's important is learning both from what happens um, internally, but, what, you know, what's happening externally. We work with a client now, and for those of you who are familiar with the utility space and the electric industry, Uh, Mm -hmm. Many meetings happen, begin with a a safety moment, right, where they might talk about um, a a safety incident that's happened, the impact, and what they're doing to fix it and to make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, We're starting to to see organizations that that are embracing having a resilience moment where they will Mm -hmm. talk about, again, either something that's happened in their organization, how they reacted, what they've done, how they can do it better next time but they also look at real-world examples, outside examples, external examples, and talk about, all right, if we, um, if, if we saw something like this in our organization, are we prepared? What would we do? What changes should we make so if this were ever to happen to us, we'd be in a better position? So it's kind of taking a little bit of the, uh, a book from, or a page, I should say, from the Project Management Institute with lessons learned, really embracing that, but taking it a step further. Um, it's absolutely taking a page from from the Project Management Institute and Lessons Learned. I think what we find, though, in many organizations is that they will conduct an after-action or they'll do a lessons learned. Uh, and the problem is, the challenge is sometimes those lessons and the corresponding actions, there isn't accountability. You're, you know, sometimes maybe they'll be assigned um, but who comes back and ensures that there has been um, some effort, some modification to a program, some change to a policy or a procedure 
that addresses and, 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 and that addresses that particular lesson learned. And I, you know, have seen this in organizations that I work for at the Department of Homeland Security, but certainly um, organizations that I support and consult with now where they've got a long list <laughs> of, mm-hmm. of after actions. But who's who's being held accountable? Who's making sure that right. that change happens? That that they're actually um, ingrained into how they operate moving forward. And I think that's a, a, a big gap, frankly. Still, I, I agree with you completely. Uh, about a year or so, uh, maybe more. I had a guest on the show, a gentleman by the name of Nick Milton, who wrote a book on lessons learned, and he kind of said what you just said. You know that. When you have these lessons learned, you know, if there isn't an action that or a change that occurs afterwards, all it was was a lesson observed. Yes, exactly. I would yeah. wholeheartedly agree with that. Well, thanks. Thanks for that, because uh, that was uh, interesting to hear, because I'm a big proponent of lessons learned. So I'm glad to, to, to hear that. Um, now, you also talk about increased transparency. Now, I've got to be honest, nobody that I've had um, previously or sat in sessions listening to has ever mentioned transparency before. What do you mean by transparency in relation to business resilience? Great question. Again, uh, you've asked a lot of good questions. So when we talk about increased (laughs) transparency, um, the amount of data and information that is generated from um, how we operate and our actions is available to our stakeholders. And that's whether it's the traditional kind of regulators, um, our board, but increasingly to our customers, to our vendors, to our suppliers. And I believe that you, you know, it used to be that you could contain an incident. And that it was very easy to keep it maybe within the organization, within the four walls. Um, I I use the term kind of just to sweep it under the carpet, to deal with it, done with. But the volume of, of, again, data and information that is available out there. Um, And the, the, we've turned individuals into, um, investigative journalists, right? All they need is this, you know, a, 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 a nugget of information. They can go out and do research on the internet um, and and quickly make a case to your stakeholders about maybe how what you did was either a good thing or a bad thing, right? And and mm-hmm. and that the virality of that information spreads quickly, and so. The, this is the, the kind of new culture of transparency that we live in. All it takes, and, and I, we might talk about this later, is, you know, one individual to, and whether they have an email, a picture, um, and we can cite, you know, numerous examples. And I go all the way back to the United Airline incident um, a few years ago when it took, you know, some passengers with um, smartphones to record um, local law enforcement pulling a doctor off the plane, right? Oh, that was yeah. the, the virality of that. Let's, let's look at what happened. I'm a Washington Nationals fan, right? With the ball strike calls. And I just wrote a blog on this and you see one thing, you know, you see I'm smaking call, but you've got this, this data, this artificial intelligence available to you through these software called TrackMan, where you're seeing a very different picture as a fan, right? It's, it looks like a strike to me based on that little square that's up on the TV. Um, and then the ability of fans to come together and to start to raise the flag that we've got an up that, you know, is making some questionable calls because we've got this data in front of us that says those uh-huh. are strikes, yeah, um, and so that's what there's the, the volume of data that's available, and 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 the ability for people and a savvy individual to quickly connect the dots and then raise the flag. That's what we mean by increased transparency. It is it is virtually impossible to sweep anything under the carpet because people feel that they've got the tools to to hold organizations accountable, institutions accountable. Well, that's the, uh, I guess, drawback to having all those uh, social media accounts. That's what's going to happen and bring everyone together. It's social media and, again, all of this data that's available, right? We've created, mm-hmm. you know, all of these 
sensors and um, the, the Internet of Things, and we're connected. And but that you know that creates a, a, a wealth of of data that's that's often available to to your stakeholders. Um, and so you have to think about that, right? And you have to, I think, as you approach. Um, any crisis or any incident or any even even a new initiative, right. you have to be cognizant of what's available out there and how it can be used both to support your initiative, right, or your case, but all of mm-hmm. the people who might see a negative aspect to that yeah. and use it against you. And so there's this kind of whole art of, of resilient decision-making. Yes, there's the immediate value of something that we're going to do, but let's make sure that we're looking at all angles of this and we understand the data that's available because, you know, people, we've got stakeholders who are going to perhaps not get the same benefit out of out of it as, as, as others. Right. I, I'm, I'm curious to know how far do you take that, transparent view you know to the outside world um you know do you do you stop at certain aspects you know we can't talk about this kind of information we just can't you know how how do you manage that you know because you you did state you know some things get put under the rug or some things um you know just stay within an office wall if there's increased transparency how far do you take that when do you know that you know we're not being transparent anymore we're this is something else? That's a great question. It's a hard one to answer because, again, I do think <laughs> that the there's this increasing distrust in large institutions, and I use the term large loosely, um, but, but people feel that sometimes large organizations, big or small, um, are not always held accountable. And this, this yeah. frankly may be an organization that, that somebody works for. And whatever their reason is for pursuing this, and it may be because they're disgruntled, it may be because they just, you know, believe that, that light needs to be shown on the truth. Um, it's hard because anything that is written down, right, that is in an email, mm-hmm. Or that, you know, can be captured in a room where cell phones and things are allowed, it, it becomes fair game. And it's hard. And it's, I think in some ways, it is demanding a, a new level of accountability because mm-hmm. you can't, as an organization and the leader, if you're, you know, not telling the truth or you say something you shouldn't be saying or, um, you know, whatever it is, you, you have to recognize that there are people who are, who are going to hold you accountable and have the data and the tools to do it. And so in some ways it should raise the bar, but I don't think that every organization has come to that realization, right? That, mm, yeah. and, and we, and we see it a lot in politics, right? Where you, somebody <laughs> will go to a fundraiser and think that it's, off the record or whatever, and there is, you know, someone who's captured the moment. And next thing you know, after that fundraiser, you know, that, that, that comment is, is out there on the airwaves, but that's the case for, for almost any industry now. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't, at this point, I don't know that, that we've set a limit on what's acceptable or not. I think we have to realize in this day and age, again, of where we've captured, where we capture every moment, um, whether, you know, through email, text, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, video, YouTube, you know, it's, it's all kind of fair game right now. Yeah. And I, I was thinking uh, while you were talking as well, that maybe, you know, the situation is going to drive, you know, how transparent you need to be as well, you know, and the amount of players and the, the impact on, on people, you mm-hmm. know, what, what's actually happening, that's going to drive some of this as well. Would you agree? Yes. Okay. Yeah, well, but I don't think that any organization is immune from, from this transparency issue. Big, small impact, you know, again, it just depends on um, who that agent of, of change, that agent of, of 
transparency and accountability is. And um, the the data that they have available to them, the message that they're trying to get out. And, and look, this is the flip side of it, right? Is that mm-hmm. you have malevolent um, and bad actors in all of this that, that may sow disinformation and misinformation. And, and that's the other challenge is that once something's out there and it's not true, um, it's, it can be hard to pull it back and it can be hard to change, you know, public opinion. But this is the yep. point. Like, this, this is the, the world that we operate in now and that organizations have to be prepared for it. And it's very different. This is most, you know, executives were not trained to lead a business in this type of world where there's disruption and the challenging of norms at every moment. And we, I would, you know, argue to thrive in the future, organizations have to, to build the capacity, the resilience to deal with it. It's not just normal disruption. It's all the other chaos that happens. It, it, that's true. You know, there, there's so much more. And it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, when information is out there, it's out there for good. You, you, you can't pull it back. It's there. And yep. I find it interesting that some people in organizations or communities or positions of power, whatever it may be, try to cover that up with more disinformation. Well, from my old days, you know, when I first started, if something is identified by anybody as being untrue, people dig more to try and find the truth. You know, so you're, you can't dig yourself out of a hole by keep digging with a shovel, you know, and that's what I find so many people still doing. And again, this is, I mean, to come back to the earlier conversation that we were having about bouncing forward and how you learn both from internal events and external events, that that's, I think what um, I'm, I'm amazed by at, at times, right? That, that there are so many examples of where um, executives or organizations have have continued to dig the hole, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to you know coming out and saying, "All right, we made a mistake. Um, we could have done better. Here are the things we thought we had in place, but they weren't enough. Um, we're sorry, you know, we're going to, we're going to try to do better or whatever. Right. But, but acknowledge it. Um, Mm -hmm. and, but whether it's, you know, Boeing, um, I use, you know, the Equinox example in my presentation, I use both, frankly, Boeing and Equinox. Um, there's a whole list, but where it's taken the executive team a while to come around and say, all right, you know, we, we, we messed up here. We should have done better. Um, we're going to remedy it. And, you know, we thought we had processes in place to deal with it, but we didn't. And we, you can't operate that, that way anymore, frankly. That's right. Well, on that note, we've come to the end of our second segment. Today, we're talking with Caitlin Durkovich, and we'll be right back. Have you ever experienced the joy of living, not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself? Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy, from a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease, to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. Seduced, The Grooming of America's Teenagers is the most important book a parent will read this year. Human trafficking is one of the fastest growing crimes in America. Three out of four victims are U.S. citizens. Most are our young people who have been lured into prostitution by a boyfriend or girlfriend or hook up with a newfound love on the Internet. Sometimes they are victims of blackmail as a result of sending a revealing photo. Sometimes it's catastrophic. Opal Singleton, president of Million Kids, has written a powerful book for parents, educators, civic leaders, and first responders about how predators use social media, apps, 
chat rooms, video games, and the dark web to access, groom, recruit, and exploit young people. It is truly a must-read for every parent, grandparent, and teacher in America. Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers will help you understand how technology makes an innocent teen vulnerable to predators and how to talk to teens to keep them safe. Priced at $15.99 plus $4 shipping, Seduced can be ordered at millionkids.org. Share this with everyone you know. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. And welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Caitlin Durkovich and her topic at uh, the fall DRJ conference, Business Resilience is Vital to Success and Survival. Caitlin, two great segments, um, you know, giving us lots of uh, ideas to th- and things to think about here. Uh, I wanted to address in the last segment here, what are the elements of a good business resiliency program? Alex, thanks for that question. Uh, at Toffler Associates, we have a business resilience framework that we both evaluate organizations against but use as the basis for uh, business resilience implementation, uh, and it starts with risk lens. That's the first. Um, many organizations kind of focus on financial, regulatory, and operational risk in, in the environment that we're operating in. Um, and all of the things that we've talked about, social media, misinformation, increased interdependencies, um, you need to begin to shift that, that risk um, lens and, and open the aperture uh, and look at things that you used to not consider, including how disruption to your vendors um, might impact you, that we've talked about social media, um, certainly, um, politics now increasingly can affect uh, an organization, and so making sure you've got the the right aperture when you when you when you're looking through that risk lens. Governance is a is a critical piece of that. Do you have a cross cutting uh, body that is um, looking at risk? Is there a way to for employees and and business people and business units to escalate um, concerns, things that they're seeing? But that also stops with it. Also starts with with your executive team, your CEO, kind of embracing resilience. Right? It all flows from the top, and so um, any change you're going to have has to has to come from the C-suite or the executives. Having a dedicated resilience program um, is integral here, and in, in making sure you've got not just a a short-term plan, but what do we want to look like in three to five years? What does a, a resilient organization look like, and how do we get there? Culture is a big piece of this, right? If it's just, you know, the CEO um, and a few business unit leaders talking about it, it's not going to do much good. You've got to invest and create ownership um, among everyone in your organization. So they're both, um, if they see something, you know, they say something, um, but that they're also identifying opportunities, uh, that's a big piece of resilience. It's not just how you mitigate disruption, but it's how you seize opportunities. Uh, the continuous learning and education we've we've talked a lot about, but how do you use examples um, and lessons learned or lessons learned internally, but examples externally uh, to to get stronger, to to, to build a more, you know a, a, a stronger culture um, and, a, and a better program. And then the last the last piece is metrics, and that's. A little bit more challenging um, as you start. It's about how the program is evolving, and are you hitting some of those, you know, first um, first year goals? And then you can start to build around. All right, you know, the last time we had a disruption, we were able to recover, you know, this quickly. We saw that the next time, you know, we we didn't have a disruption, right? And you start to build metrics around that. But those are those are the six key elements, risk lens, governance, resource and planning, culture, continuous learning and education, and metrics. So to get those, what kind of questions do we need to ask? Um, that, uh, that's another great question. Um, you know, I think it, it starts with, you know, are you, is your organization ready um, to embrace resilience? And it's like anything, um, if, 
if you're not, uh, it's if you don't understand the value of it, and part of understanding the value is acknowledging um, the environment that we're operating in and that we are dealing with increased transparency and a culture of accountability. And, and once you, you, I think once an organization recognizes that it's a matter of when, not if, um, that's when you can start asking um, these questions. And, and it starts with, and, and I see this both in the business continuity realm, but also in the security realm, is your focus, a, a lot of focus is on compliance, checking the box, making sure that we, you know, meet our annual requirements, that we're going to get, we're going to, you know, the regulators are going to give us the, the green light. Um, you you need to be resilient. You need to move beyond compliance, and you need to start to identify activities that, that help you move beyond just the checking the box and doing what you're, you're mandated to do. Um, are you really looking at unconventional risks? Are you thinking about what happens if you have a customer boycott because of a position um, that you take? What happens if one of your vendors or suppliers uh, is disrupted? What happens if you have somebody, you know, take a picture and put on social media and, and misconstrue what's happening? Are you, are you prepared for all of these things? Uh, are you are are you siloed in your approach to addressing complex threats? That's kind of the third question we ask. Or are you working closely with other business units and, and corporate functions um, to understand the threat that each business unit sees and, and making sure that it's addressed in a holistic a holistic way? Um, I talked a little bit about this fourth question um, earlier, but this concept of resilience based decision making. Uh, organizations, they may see, you know, they, they, they make a decision because it's going to have an impact to the bottom line. It's going to bring revenue. It's going to help them capture more of the market. Um, but, but are you, are you looking at all of the impacts and consequences of that decision? And I think this is really a new, an area where those who have lived in the security and business continuity world can bring their, their tradecraft to bear to an organization. And we do horizon scanning. We, you know, look at um, risk to, to, to key functions. Um, we talk about crisis management. We talk about contingency planning. We talk about intelligence analysis. That should be applied across any 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 business, any major business decision. And both, what's the return on investment going to be? But who are the stakeholders that are going to be impacted? Um, what type of consequences are they going to have? Are we going to be prepared for if one of those sets of stakeholders feels that this is, you know, not a decision that 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 is good for them and are going to um, take to social media, are going to raise, you know, hell about it? And are you prepared for that? Are you thinking about all impacts or all angles of how a decision is going to impact um, stakeholders, and that's from the board to shareholders to customers to suppliers and vendors. Uh, and then I think a, a big part of it, and, and I've seen this in government and I've seen it in private industry, is that your employees are, are a big part of this. Are you encouraging them? Are you creating ownership over their role in ensuring a resilient organization and asking them to surface um, both, again, I talked about this earlier, risks and opportunities. If they mm-hmm. see something that they think could disrupt the business, do they are they empowered to raise it to their manager? And if their manager is going to listen, is there a way to escalate it? Just like if they see an opportunity, right, what, what channels do they have um, to, to surface that and to say, hey, here's an opportunity for us that, that might mean business in the future? And that, and I think that's part of it. You've got to, you know, build that ownership and investment of employees. So those are the, the five, you know, key questions that, that we look at when we start to think about, all right, how are we going to, you know, begin to build a, a business resilience program? You know, with with those questions, I actually had a couple of follow up questions, but believe it or not, we we only have less than three minutes left already. So I'm going to give okay. You, I can try and give you quick answers <laughs> if um, you want, or if you need to close, I understand. Okay, I'll ask real quick. Let's say you asked me those five questions in my organization, and none of the answers were very good. What would you suggest I do straight away to start moving on the path to resilience? 
uh, that you go get the buy-in from your C-suite, that it's time to uh, invest in a program and that your, um, your, um, your lack of, of resilience, the, the, the lack of a resilience posture is leaving you susceptible and vulnerable and it's, it's time to invest in this and you might want to do a tabletop exercise to, to help provide evidence, but I would, I would go get the blessing from above, um, to, to move forward on this and I'd, I'd try and demonstrate it by doing a tabletop exercise. Yeah, that would really uncover a lot of things, I'm sure. Yep. Well, do you have any last comments on resilience you would like us to know? We've got less than two minutes now. Um, I would I would close by reiterating something that I said earlier is that it is it is a matter of when, not if. And I am still surprised by the number of organizations that say, "Oh, it's not going to happen to us." Why do we need to invest in this? We're, you know, we, we, we're, we, we're situated or located in a part of the country that nobody cares about, right? We're too small. Um, mm-hmm. They don't, you know, they don't focus on us. They're only focused on the big guys. Well, frankly, um, in some ways, you know, those softer targets, those, those non-hardened, non-prepared organizations are the one that are, are most susceptible for a variety of different reasons. So, um, it is a matter of when, not if, and the impact for those who haven't taken some measures to, to make themselves more resilient is going to be more significant. We see this with cyber events all the time is that the number of small businesses that end up failing after a cyber attack is up, upwards near 60%. I, you know, can make the argument, too, for those organizations that aren't prepared um, for a disruption. And so... It is a matter of when, not if, and you don't have to boil the ocean at once, but you need to start. Great. And on that note, we've actually come to the end. Caitlin, thank you very much for sharing your expertise with us and taking the time to come in and talk and be on the show. I greatly appreciate it. You're very welcome. And to everybody out there, if you've got a topic you want us to talk about, let me know. Thanks to everyone at BoastAssessment.com for creating the show for us. And in the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.